You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. Good morning from me. Well, it's week three of our Reaching Wider series. And really here, we're seeking to be intentional about reaching wider, to draw others into the blessing and the goodness of God that we so enjoy, that we sing about, that we declare. Hallelujah for the cross. But let it not only be us that celebrate. Let those outside of here hear and find his goodness as well. So back two weeks ago, week one, we considered that we had been commanded. Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples. And that we have to reach wider because eternal destinies are at stake. People's eternal destiny rests on them hearing and responding to Jesus. And then last week, Martin spoke about reaching wider through witness. Being witnesses that there is a good God who is alive and well and that we have experienced him. Anyone in the room here this morning experienced something of God? It's a small handful of us, but we are witnesses. So we're encouraged to, to be those who let our character and our conduct speak of him, but also to use our words to testify of him. Encouraged to use our story of how we came to know him and to receive him, but also our stories of all the times that he's answered prayer and transformed our heart and come and been and met with us to share those with others and to use those to help us to be witnesses. Now, probably for all of us, this series is challenging. I was in one of our life groups this week. It was great to be there as we engaged with the Talking Jesus resource. And as part of the group, we were talking about our fears, the reason why we hold back from reaching wider, the things that stop us doing it. And you know, when we come and we preach on these Sunday mornings, we're not pretending those factors don't exist. We're not pretending there isn't fear. We're not pretending there aren't obstacles in us. But what we know is that God, through his word and through his Holy Spirit in us, is going to help us to move beyond those things, to move beyond those limitations, and to grow and to become a people who are reaching wider, who are growing in this area, because we know that eternal destinies are at stake. Next week, Luke's going to pick up on how we use our words and specifically how we can explain the gospel simply, what Jesus has done for us. He's going to get really practical and give us a simple tool that any of us could use in a conversation. And he's also going to help us know what to do when someone reaches that point and says, well, yeah, I think I do want to accept Jesus. He's going to help us with that so that we don't have to panic when that happens, as I know some of us can feel a bit worried about. But today we're going to consider a slightly different aspect of reaching wider, which is reaching wider through compassion. Compassion. Dictionary.com says this is what compassion is. It's a feeling of sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Compassion is what happens in us when we encounter someone else's suffering and we want to make a difference. We want to make or help make it better. 
But why is this an important component to reaching wider? Well, let's go for a minute to James chapter 2, 15 and 16. I think the verses are going to come up on the screen. You may remember these from our series last year, if you were with us last year. James is speaking to the church about faith and deeds and about the need for our faith to be active. And he says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? You know, the truth is we might try to tell someone about what Jesus has done for them, but our kind sentiment and our words will mean very little to someone who has physical and practical needs. If we have the means to help them but walk away having done nothing. Nothing to alleviate their suffering, nothing to help them in their desperation except tell them that God loves them. It would probably sound a little hollow. You know, it's hard to consider where you're going to spend eternity if right now you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight. It's hard to seriously engage with the hunger of your soul when you haven't eaten for two days and all there is in the cupboard is a tin of chopped tomatoes. Now, it's true that when we do act in compassion, it doesn't always work out in a straightforward manner. It doesn't always work out how we think it might. When I was in my early 20s, uh, newly married, newly employed, I remember walking home from work one day. I used to walk partway and then get the car. And I was walking down the road, and I passed an elderly lady and then did that kind of classic double take when she was a few steps by because something wasn't quite right, and my brain was gradually processing it. I looked back to see that this definitely wasn't right. She was there in her slippers. She was walking along the road, looking for somewhere that she clearly couldn't find. So I had that moment when I thought, do I need to do anything? Is this my problem? Is this my business? And then looked around to see if anyone else looked like they were going to help, and it didn't look like anyone was. So I walked back towards the lady. I said, are you all right? She said, I'm looking for my son's house. I said, do you know the address? She went, oh, it's around here somewhere. So we walked up and down a little, and uh, it was clear we weren't going to find the son's house. So then I asked her where she lived, and she told me an address that was actually an address that I knew. So I said to her, well, shall I take you home? And she agreed to that. So we kind of shuffled our way back towards my car. We got in the car. It was rush hour. Uh, we headed towards the address that she told me. It was rush hour and there was gridlock in some of the roads. In fact, we sat on a dual carriageway in some traffic, three lanes across on the other side. I saw Martin returning from work in his car, seeing me driving away from home in my car. This wasn't an expected trip, and I also had an unknown elderly lady in the front of my vehicle. There were no mobile phones. I couldn't explain what was happening. He just thought, what on earth is my wife up to now? Got to the house got out the car, the elderly lady didn't have any keys. So I went up to the door, at this point saw that the doorbell had been ripped off the door and there were just wires. You know sometimes you get a sinking feeling. I knocked on the door, no answer. Knocked a few more times, looked around, it at best wasn't well maintained and frankly I think it was empty. This was the moment where I realized I was not helping an elderly lady. I had acquired an elderly lady. 
This had never happened to me before. I had not set out trying to do this, and I didn't know what to do next. After a few moments deliberating, I decided that I would take her to the police station. I went in, thought, well, you know, has anybody been reported missing? I said, no, no one reported missing. I'm beginning to think, how do we fit this lady in our house? We've only got one bedroom. How does this work? I don't know what's going to happen next. And I have never been so relieved as when the police officer told me that they would look after her from there. And they took her in. Now, it turns out that she did live in a residential care home and had headed out, and her disappearance hadn't been noted until later. And the police called me later that day to say she'd been safely returned, and also her family had asked for her for their thanks to be passed on to me. But it wasn't straightforward. It didn't go how I'd planned. And I'm definitely not this morning recommending that we start taking random strangers into our vehicles. That's not what this is about. But compassion is a key component of reaching wider because it is a tangible expression of the heart of God towards the need of mankind. It's a tangible expression of the heart of God towards the need of mankind. If we look through the Gospels, Jesus was full of compassion. Even just if we look through Matthew's Gospel, it tells us that when he went into the towns and villages, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. It tells us that when he just heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, and he goes to find a solitary place to get his head around this, it says he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. Just before he feeds the 4,000, it says Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. And when he sees some blind men sitting by the roadside on the route out of Jericho, it says Jesus had compassion on them. As Jesus reached out to bring his kingdom, his compassion was evident, shaping his actions. It led him to behave in certain ways towards the people that he encountered. The truth is that throughout scripture, we find God's heart for the poor, for the oppressed, for the hungry, for the slave, for the downtrodden, for the weak. He is full of compassion. Let me read us some words this morning from Isaiah 58. These are words that God spoke through Isaiah to his people. When their religion had become empty, it was about empty rituals. They'd turn up for worship, but there was no heart connection with God. There was no real change of heart or life. And this is what he said to them. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. It's not that fasting from food, as we will do this week to seek God, isn't beneficial. It is. It's biblical and it's powerful. But not if it's separate from a surrendered life, not if it's separate from a heart that is connecting to God and to the compassion of his heart that's sensitive and responsive to the oppressed and to the needy. I could take us this morning to the words of Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25. There's some more challenging words. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he starts speaking about the sheep and the goats, some of you will be familiar with those words, and he says, that at that time, the Son of Man will say this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And it says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And it says these words that are here on the screen behind me. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And Jesus goes on to explain what will happen to those who haven't responded in that way. See, compassion towards those in need is right at the center of the heart of God. It's how we can be confident that God will help us when we are in a time of need. He identifies with the poor. That's why in Proverbs 19, 17, it says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And I could stay in these scriptures here this morning, but actually I'm not going to focus there because what I want us to consider this morning is what compassion does in the receiver as we consider some scriptures and stories, which I think will help us to be motivated to reach wider through compassion as we understand a bit more what it does in the heart of the one who receives compassion. See, first up this morning, acts of compassion open ears to hear about Jesus. Acts of compassion open ears to hear about Jesus. When we deliberately move towards those who are in need to help them, to help them meet their need, it will very often open up their ears so they will hear what we have to say. In our previous church, when we were in Nottingham, there was an associated mentoring charity. You may have heard me speak about it before. It worked with people who were in treatment for drug addiction. And they, um, people were referred to them because they were considered to kind of be stable and engaging with services. But in the broader perspective of life, they were stuck. They couldn't move forward. They were, they were struggling in some other way, which really stopped them progressing. Now, I'd heard a number of times in church when this ministry had been profiled and heard about the impact that one or two people were having as they regularly met up with some of these individuals. Now, I was a little bit interested. I was a bit won wondered if maybe it's something I could do or should do. Um, but then over a number of months, I felt God really beginning to prod me to step out and to get involved. So when my littlest child went off to school, I signed up and I became a mentor. Now I've got to say, this put me out of my comfort zone. The first lady that I mentored, I'm gonna call her Andrea this morning, it's not her real name, but she'd been a heroin addict for many years. She'd worked on the streets, uh, she'd seen parts of life that I didn't even know about. And she'd been placed in Nottingham by an agency who were trying to help her get out of another city, not her hometown, but another city where she was, a place where her life had become so interwoven with those uh, supplying drugs that she had no chance of getting free where she was. But at the time that I met her, she was living with a man who she knew didn't love her, but she had nowhere else to go and she was stuck. In fact, when I met her, she was even afraid to go out of her house. She would go out once a day to the pharmacist just a few hundred meters down the road to get her methadone, but she would go nowhere else. She was cut off and she was isolated. I'd never spent time with anybody, anything like this. I'm also not particularly a great conversationalist, and so it was a real stretch for me. But what I found with her and with every single one of the ladies that I mentored was by the second time that I saw them, 
something would happen. They would ask me this question without fail. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you spending time with me? Why are you cleaning my kitchen? Why are you washing my pots? Why do you care if social services let me keep my child? Why are you doing this? Now, at that point, I didn't try to explain the gospel to them fully, but I did take the opportunity just to try and express something of the love of God that I'd come to find in Jesus Christ and that had so changed my heart, and that I wanted them to know that he knew them and he loved them and was bothered about them. That was why. They didn't really know what to do with that, but they'd asked because a simple act of compassion had opened up their ears to hear and cause them to ask. The truth was that at that point, Andrea literally couldn't make a decision about anything. She couldn't have responded or made a decision because she literally couldn't make any choices. Her dignity and sense of self had become so distorted that she found herself unable to make a choice. But what happened in that situation was over successive weeks, I took Andrea to a place not far from where she lived, where Trent Vineyard, a brilliant church in Nottingham, ran a drop-in session with free drinks and toast for people a lot like Andrea. And then what they would do in that kind of drop-in session is they would have five-minute focus where somebody would just bring some sort of thought from the Bible or about life and encourage these people to discuss it together. They weren't Christians, they were from all kinds of broken backgrounds. But there were these good people there just being present and doing this great work. It was always a very different conversation to the ones that happen in church. And I can tell you the language was very different as well. But once in one of those settings, I think actually we just stepped outside to, uh, for her to have a smoke, which everybody did kind of every 10 minutes in those kinds of settings. That's what happens. I asked her outright, I said, what do you think about Jesus? And she gave me an answer that no one else has ever said when I've asked them that question. She said, well, I've seen and experienced so much evil, and I know that that is real, so why wouldn't Jesus be real too? Wow. I'll be honest, in that case, I didn't know what to say next. In another one of those sessions, something very humbling happened to me. The subject matter that they were discussing that morning was something to do with God being Father. There were about 13 or 14 people present that morning, and they sat around in a big circle, and they had a bit of discussion about it. And in the conversation that unfolded, one after another all told the story of how their father had not been consistently present in their life. And as the morning unfolded, I realized I was literally the only person there whose father had been present in my upbringing and faithful to my mother. In that moment, I realized the privilege and the blessing that I had to have been given that sort of start and that sort of stability. That maybe if I'd been in their circumstances, I probably would have made the same choices, faced the same challenges. And that revelation was really important because it cut across an attitude that I can have and that maybe you can have too that kills compassion. It's an attitude that says people are where they are because of the choices that they make. Therefore, we kind of reason it's their fault. And of course, there is some truth in that. People do live in the consequences of their choices. But if we'd been in their situation, we might have made the same choices. We 
that might have now faced the same challenges. And we say, but for the grace of God. Now, Andrea didn't make a decision to follow Jesus in the time that I was meeting with her. But she did make some friends, and she started going out to see them, not just when I was with her, but on her own. And she started thinking about her life and the choices she had. And she made a decision to move out from living with this guy who didn't love her. And she decided to move back to Bradford, where her family lived. She got unstuck. She'd known she needed help, and when it came, it caused her to ask, why are you doing this? And the compassion she was shown opened her ears to hear. Acts of compassion will always, or very often, open ears to hear. What also happened in that season is I began to engage with some women out of compassion as I opened myself up to God's heart, because these weren't people that I naturally felt anything for, but God began to do something in my heart and did something else in that season. I suddenly found myself being concerned about other people, some people, some needs that previously I either hadn't noticed or I would have distanced myself from. And something unusual happened to me. I became deeply impassioned in that season about the church's response to homelessness. I had a sense almost of indignation that church buildings sat empty while people slept on the streets. Now, at that point, I wasn't in any position to do anything about that. I had no responsibility at church, no voice into any of the decisions that were made. In fact, aside from doing this mentoring, the only place I served was in the twos ministry once a month with the two-year-olds during the sermon. And yet I found myself broken up about this issue, weeping about it at times and not sure what to do with it. And because it didn't go away, in the end I went to see Lynn, who was the lady at my church who oversaw social justice and compassion ministries. And I went in and I tried to articulate to her what was going on on the inside of me. I think she felt I was um, slightly unusual. She was gracious with me. But I tried to explain this deep concern that I was feeling. Probably very wisely, at the end of a bit of time of listening to me, she said, I think you probably need to just go and pray about that for a little while and see what God says and see what he does. And so that's what I did. And in the months that followed, some changes happened in my life. We moved city, we moved to Coventry. We stepped into leading a church together. I became a pastor. And not long after arriving in Coventry, there was a call because the council had approached the faith communities in the city to ask if they could help with the problem of homelessness. And Bishop Christopher had drawn in some of the churches he knew, and a meeting was called of anyone interested. And I knew immediately when I heard about this, that's what this is about. That's why you were doing something in me that didn't make sense then, but this is what it's for. So I went to the meetings, listened and contributed as I could, and so CLM were the first to put money on the table to make the night shelter a reality. Others offered venues and volunteers and made it happen. And I've been involved in the leadership of that project throughout the six years since then. CLM has been a key church, not as a venue, but a contributing church, contributing finance as a church. I know also some individuals here contribute with volunteers helping run the shifts. One of the venues this year has had a volunteer coordinator from CLM, Polly Williams. I'm not sure she's here in this service. This winter, from December to the end of March, the Coventry Winter Night Shelter was able to help 48 different individuals who had nowhere else to sleep. They provided 2,065 bed nights and dinners and breakfasts. 
They were able to help 24 of those people move into more sustainable accommodation. And there's a small staff team who facilitated 8,026 volunteer hours. That's a lot of compassion. At an estimated value of 63,000 pounds if we were paying all those people. Wow. Yeah. It's we praise God. Did those 48 people ask, why are you doing it? I don't know. I expect some of them did. Some won't have. But this I know, that every night that they would have been sleeping on the streets, but instead they were sheltered and they were fed and they were looked after and they were spoken to. It happened when they showed up at a church of Jesus Christ and went through the door. And in that place, they found their needs were met. Instead of them having nowhere to go, instead of them maybe sleeping on the doorstep of the church because the church was closed. And compassion on this scale doesn't just impact those who receive it, it impacts those who see it. It impacts the council. The effectiveness of the night shelter opened up the way for conversations about other areas of life in the city where the church might be able to partner and make a difference. This is how the Good Neighbors Project, another council-funded project serving elderly people in social isolation came about. The church gets viewed differently, gets listened to because of her compassion. Hope recently hosted a lunch for church leaders with Martin Sutherland, who's the leader of the team delivering City of Culture 2021. Because of what is already being done, because of what's proven, because of the compassion work that the church is already on with, he had ears to hear what we had to say. See, our compassion changes those who we engage with. It often makes them ask, why are you doing this? But it also changes those who look on, who maybe don't have the need, but they see that your faith is authentic. They see that your actions match up with what you say. They see that you do believe in a God of love because you're behaving in a way that lines up with that. That's why we have to reach wider with compassion. It opens ears to hear, but it, it also opens eyes to look. And let me take us back to scripture briefly. I, I suspect many of us are familiar with the accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's the one miracle that makes it into every gospel. And it's really an act of compassion as Jesus sees these people hungry and doesn't want them to go home. And if I just take us to John 6, I want you to see what happens the day after. It's always interesting to know what happens the day after things, isn't it? We can focus on the event. But this is what happened the day after the feeding of the 5,000. It says this in John 6, 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. So truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Here we find Jesus yesterday performs this astonishing miracle. And today there are crowds of people looking for him, even getting in boats to get across Galilee to see if they can find him. Why are they looking for him? It was not, Jesus says, because he'd done something miraculous. It was not because they knew they needed a savior. It was not because they thought that he was God and he was the answer to everything they needed. It was not because they knew their eternal destiny rested in him. Jesus says, it's because you ate the loaves 
and had your fill. And he then urges them to seek food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give them. They were hungry. These were poor people. They depended on that's hard to say, subsistence farming for, to eke out an existence. They, were not, they couldn't go to Nando's. There wasn't a KFC on the corner. Probably some days they went without food. Jesus fed them. They were looking for Jesus because he'd provided food for them. He fed them. He gave them enough. In compassion, he met their need. Didn't send them away hungry. And so the next day they set out to look for him again. Compassion opens eyes to look for Jesus. When out of compassion, if we help to meet people's needs in the name of Jesus, that's when they'll start to look for him. That's when they'll start to look. This is why here in Coventry, here at CLM, we partner with numbers of ministries and Christian charities in Coventry who are on with compassion work. It's to impact, in the, impact people in our city by being there to meet their need. Ministries like CAP, Christians Against Poverty, that we had a brilliant focus on it's just a couple of weeks ago, saw that excellent video and testimony from Karen. You'll probably remember it if you were here that morning. Karen was being helped out of debt and in the process reconnected with God, whom she drifted away from many years before because the compassion that was showed to her to help her in a hopeless moment of need opened her eyes to look for Jesus again. Other compassion ministries that we partner with, they're up on the screen here, their logos. Obviously, there's the night shelter. And CAP, we also partner with Hope for Justice, who are seeking to end modern-day slavery and rescue people caught up in trafficking. The Good Neighbors Project, befriending elderly people who are socially isolated. And we have a number of volunteers with that project within the congregation. Food Bank, providing food and support for local people in crisis, headed up by Hugh McNeil, who worships here with us. You know, there's a collection bin out in reception every week when you can bring food and put it in there so it can be passed on to help those who have no food this week. Carriers of Hope, dedicated to serving asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants. And we're conscious there's plenty of need beyond Coventry as well. We'll speak about that in a minute. But we're committed to starting here where we are, seeking to have many of us involved in reaching wider in compassion to those in need in our city, because it's part of opening their eyes to look for Jesus. You don't have to outwork compassion through an organized project, but it does help us to reach out in compassion in ways that are safe and wise, where there's training available and safeguards in place so that we don't put ourselves in positions of unnecessary risk. And even as I talk about compassion this morning, I would want you to take those factors into consideration. Just don't go out of here this morning and do something crazy, pursuing uh, somebody in extreme need where you haven't actually thought about the risk to yourself. That's why it's good to have organizations to work alongside. But compassion opens eyes to look for Jesus. Thirdly this morning, compassion opens ears to hear. Compassion opens eyes to look for Jesus, but it also opens hearts to receive him. You've heard in the notices uh, this morning about an information evening to find out some more about this work that's going on in Lebanon with Syrian refugees, where we've just got a, an evolving partnership with some other churches in the UK, but also with a small Baptist church called True Vine in the Bacar Valley 
in Lebanon, just across from the Syrian border. And this church, they began in 2012, making up some boxes of food, I think we'll see a picture of one up on the screen, that were to give to Syrian families. One of these boxes uh, to feed a family of six to eight people for a month. It's got some grains, some uh, fish, uh, some beans, and things like that in it. And at that time, they were, began feeding 100 families with boxes like this. But families kept bringing other families who also needed feeding. So with the help of some other organizations throughout the 12 months that followed, they were able to increase their project by another 200 families. So there were now 300 families being fed by them. But as they were engaging with them, they found that their children had no education, no schooling, nothing going on for them in the day. And so the church then turned its underground car park into a school and now takes on just under 200 children full-time, Monday to Friday, to educate them. The feeding program continued to grow, and there were a few other ways in which they connect with families. And by the end of 2014, it was estimated that they were connecting with around 3,000 different families. Now, as they connected with the families in their food distribution project, as they welcomed children into their school, at first the families were just grateful that someone was meeting their need. But then something else began to happen because in their school they also teach the children about Jesus. All of these children are from a Muslim background, but as part of what they teach them, they have a joyful expression of worship every day. And what happened was children began to give their lives to Jesus. And they would go home and they would tell their mothers, and mothers began giving their lives to Jesus. And then what the church have also seen is that many people get brought to them by a friend or a relative because they've asked to go to the church even though they've never been there, but they've had a vision or a dream of Jesus Christ. He's appeared to them, and they come just saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I've met him. I've seen him. Because an act of compassion has opened their heart to receive from a place, from a culture, from an upbringing and a belief system that was closed, an act of compassion has opened their heart to receive him. Without the compassion, they would have remained in their camp. The church bought some land to develop a, a center in a place called Faida, which is right in the middle of five different refugee settlements, surrounded by probably about 15,000 people. All of the people in those communities uh, would be considered to be extremist Muslims. And on this little center, they have a number of industrial containers, and they, they run some uh, teaching English as a foreign language. They have a little laundrette and a charity shop, and a, a small medical center with just a handful of consulting rooms. And this little center is run by a couple, Amir and Sarin. They are an Egyptian couple who have gone there as missionaries to serve in that place. Amir is a physiotherapist, Samarin is a highly trained nurse. Outside of what they offer on this center, the medical provision for these 15,000 people is one to two hours per week of a doctor. So Amir and Sarin do what they can. They organize some overseas medical teams that come in. But Amir and Samarin give their services every week, running clinics, doing what they can with the skills that they have. Now, Serene is a nurse, but women come to her with more than their health needs because they have more needs than health needs, but there's no one else to meet them. And they come to her and they talk to her. One lady came to her clinic and asked to be prayed for because she couldn't conceive. And the following month, she was pregnant. And she returned and wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. 
Another woman came to her and shared with her that she was so burdened because she had a brother who had now been missing in Syria for six years. Sarine said, well, we can pray for him. And so they prayed for him in the name of Jesus. The following week, the lady didn't come. The week after that, the lady did come back again, this time with six or seven other women with her, saying this, we want to know more about Christ. We want to know about the one who was in Syria, the one who found my brother, the one you pray to. We want to know more. I'll say some more about where those interactions have led when we meet on the 5th of June, if you want to come. But Sarin was there for people in their need. And then they open their hearts to receive Jesus Christ because acts of compassion open ears to hear the message, open eyes to look for him, and open hearts to receive. Let me bring us back to these words from James. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? We're called to communicate, to demonstrate God's heart as well as his invitation. We're called to reach wider in compassion, to open ears to hear, to open eyes to see, to open hearts to receive Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come. I'm aware this morning this is a deeply challenging message. It's an uncomfortable message. Perhaps it's not what you came here for this morning. But it's about us let, letting the Holy Spirit put something of God's heart in our heart and changing us to become more like Jesus, which is the journey as his followers that we're all on. This is a message this morning. It, it doesn't call for a response in the moment. We've not got a sign-up sheet in the back for our compassion ministries. It's not what we're after this morning. This is a message that calls for a response in the days ahead the weeks ahead, the months ahead. So as I finish this morning, in a moment I'm gonna pray, and then the, the band are gonna play our final song. But as they do so initially, I'm gonna invite us to remain seated and just to let the song speak to us. Let the Lord use it to speak to our hearts. And then after that, we'll stand together and we'll make it our response and our prayer this morning. But let's pray. Father, you are so full of compassion and mercy. You came to find us in our need and you rescued us. Thank you. Because you gave everything that was needed to lift us up. And this morning we say sorry that we can be so dull to the needs of those around us and so slow to move towards those who are in need. Thank you that you involve us in your plan to restore all things. Please help us. Help us to be those who find your heart. Help us to be those who reach wider in compassion, to meet the needs of precious people you made and you love, that their ears might be open to hear, that their eyes might be open to look for you, Jesus, and that their hearts might be opened to receive you and to find eternal life. Amen.